I'm Jared. Um, I am not Patrick. Um, I'm Jared. Pat- Patrick is gone this week, and uh, he uh, left me uh, the, the pulpit this week, and um, I'm really honored to be here. I've been a part of this faith family for a year now, over a year, right? Ju- July, we moved last June. We moved to New York about a year ago. Um, and we moved to Long Island City, and we were looking for a faith family, and uh, this, w- this was the first church we visited, and that was it. Uh, we, we were hooked, and we just love New City Church, and it's such a joy to be here. Uh, the reason my wife, my wife is right here, she uh, was the one passing around the offering plates. The um, reason we're here is that uh, we work with college students. I work with the navigators, and so does my wife. We work with um, college students, um, helping them understand the freedom that comes with Jesus and uh, freeing them from the, the, the idols and the slaves of success and, and money and helping them realize that it's okay if you fail. And uh, it's okay it, it, because Jesus loves you. Uh, he's got a good plan for your life. And so that, that's why we're here. And we've been doing that at NYU Tandon, uh, which is uh, the engineering school of NYU in downtown Brooklyn, for a year now, and a year and a little bit. And this year has been amazing. So as you can imagine, fall is the busiest time for us. Um, I regularly forget what day it is uh, these times and just kind of wake up and, all right, I'm going to go see college students and Someday, eventually, it's going to be Sunday. That's kind of how my, my life has been for a while. But God has been doing so many amazing things. It's been beautifully hectic. Um, we've seen three people come to faith in Christ and choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior and want to follow him and find freedom in him. We've seen several others take huge steps of faith. Um, and yeah, one of my, a couple of uh, amazing stories from, from the beginning um, is just to see uh, we have students that, um, went and shared uh, the good news of Jesus on their own, like without, without our help. And they went and they shared the gospel and they came back and they're like, this is so much fun. Like before they're like, this is terrifying. How do I do this? But once you do it, it's like, this is the best thing in the world because I really do believe this, right? They're like, I re- I'm really convicted of this. And so I'm, I, it's, it's a really fun season uh, to be doing this. Another great story is that uh, I was sitting in um, Jasper Kane dining hall at, at NYU Tandon, and some guys walk up to me, and they're like, yo, dude, can we get an autograph? And I was like, uh, why? And they're like, oh, no, you ain't Seth? They thought I was Seth Rogen. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, I wasn't. But if I'm on my game now, because now, like, the next time they're awesome, I'm like, yeah, of course, man. <laughs> like, like trying to do the laugh I've been working on. So uh, that's, that's definitely a highlight. <laughs> I mean, like, it's kind of a low light, too, because I'm like, oh, you think I look like a fat white guy. Um, <laughs> that's basically, anyways. Um, Seth's lost weight. I'm not giving him enough credit. Uh, but it's been an amazing few weeks. Thanks for praying for us. And I haven't said this uh, publicly. Uh, we were the Giving Project last month. And so, New City, thank you. Thank you for, for helping us. You're, you, you are a part of those students giving their lives to Christ, of them finding freedom. Thanks for partnering with us, New City Church. Okay, enough about this. We're, we're in a series called Balanced. Um, it's out of First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And I want to do just a little recap for us of what the series really is about. And uh, just, just a quick recap of the situation. In um, I've heard it pronounced three different ways this morning. Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and Thessaloniki? Okay, so I'm going to go with Thessalonica. If you, if you know the right one, just keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> Thessalonica. Uh, the situation uh, there, is it, the historical context is very, very helpful to understand what's going on. 
So Paul uh, was, on a, was on a missionary journey. You can find this story in Acts 17. I won't make you turn there, but it's in Acts 17. And, and Paul's on this missionary journey throughout the, the Greek world at that time, the, um, all these important Greek port cities. And he comes to Thessalonica. And the way that uh, Paul does things is that he shows up first to, a, to the synagogue. And he, uh, because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so he, if you're looking for a, a foundation, he's looking to help motivate and, and mobilize the Jewish ones who knew, oh, who grasp, like he's the, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. So he goes to the synagogue and he preaches that uh, it's necessary for Jesus to suffer. It was necessary for him to suffer. But that he also suffered at Jewish hands. Now, as you can imagine, doing that in a synagogue, some people got mad. And they got really, really, really mad. And they begin to conspire, okay, how are we going to get him to shut up? And they got, they got mad quick, too. He was only there for basically three Sundays. That was it. Three, three Sabbaths, really, where he was preaching. Three weeks, and in that time, he made them riot mad. Like, riot. They started a riot. And they were, you know, I, I, again, uh, this, is, this is a little bit of imagination. Some of you know this, but I have a little bit of imagination. And I, they were, like, con- conspiring together, like, okay, how do we get rid of this Paul guy? And the guy's like, all right, we could stone him. And like, actually, I, I heard a story where he actually got stoned. They thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city, and he walked right back in. So let's not, let's not stone him. That doesn't work. The next guy's like, all right, let's put him in jail. And like, actually, the previous place he was in, there was an earthquake that freed him, and he converted the jailer. So let's not put him in prison. I'm like, what's going to work with this guy? How are we going to stop him? And that's when they got their, like, uh, kind of like, hmm, villain, super villain, like, mind together. Like, ooh, he's staying with Jason. And another guy's like, well, I kind of like Jason. I'm like, shut up, Doug. And they're like, we're going to go and beat Jason. And like, that will get him out of the town. So that's what they do. They, they roll up to who Paul was staying with. They drag out Jason, and they're like, we're going to kill him. And Paul's like, cool, I'll leave. And they're like, really? That was quick. But what Paul had understood in Thessalonica is that what he had started can't be reversed. His work was done. And I love, actually, this, in, the, in the, the story of, of when they decide to go get uh, Jason, uh, it's like the, the biggest compliment you could possibly give someone. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down, we're going to go stop him. And they were right. They did turn the world upside down. So uh, the situation in Thessalonica, though, is obviously pretty precarious. This is why this, this balanced theme is coming through, is because Paul wants the, the Thessalonians to walk a balanced life between not starting riots but not giving up on truth, right? Could you imagine being, a, being one of these converts in a place where you almost saw your buddy Jason get beat to death? But you also know the truth that Jesus suffered for you, that he loves you, and that it's worth everything. What do you do? How do you live? How do you walk? What, how, how do you talk to people? And so that's why Paul wrote these letters, is to help them walk a balanced life. And we've had a couple of, uh, we've had three great messages about, um, first week was uh, titled Molded and Modeling. So it's growing in knowledge. You want to you grow in knowledge, but, but this knowledge should lead to character transformation. Yes, you're being molded in your head, but you also want to begin to model it, to live out the character. So it's not just all head knowledge, but it's actually modeling. The next week was Devoted and Detached, where we talked about the balance of our human relationships. The last week was Comfort and Calamity, which is basically how do I view the good and bad things that happen in my life, and what am I pursuing? And this, this week is about purity and 
and passion. Purity and passion. And both words uh, invoke uh, the idea of sex, right? Of, of sex. And uh, Patrick left me this week, right, to, to talk about sex. I will also be talking about tithing. Just kidding. Um, uh, he left me to talk about sex. And there's, there's an old uh, navigator guy in Boston who says, if you're not talking about sex and money, you're not talking about much. And what he means is that if you're not helping people with sex and money, then you're kind of ignoring like really, really big parts of our lives, right? If you're not willing to go there. However, what's interesting about sex and money is that sex and money really aren't about sex and money. So actually, I'm not going to talk that much about sex and money. I'm going to talk about what goes on really at, at, at the core heart level today. What causes us to be obsessed with sex and money? What drives these things? So yes, purity and passion are about sex, but really it's about what, what's, what's on the inside, what really drives us towards these things. And so that's where we'll be. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, yeah, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4. Let me pray, and then I'll, I'll read the passage and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for um, Paul, for, for making Paul who he is and the letter that he wrote. And would you help us to live a balanced life, to understand your definitions of purity and passion and to, to set aside um, our distractions. We need your help with this, God. Would you help us to set aside um, our, our worries and our cares just for a little bit to hear from you this morning. In your name, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 through uh, 12 are, is our passage this morning. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how, you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right, so there's the passage. Some, some, some stern stuff in here, right? He uses the word sexual immorality. He talks about passions of the lust. And one thing that I wanted to cover before I got into, into the big points this morning is to cover a few things that he is not saying that I have a struggle. Anytime someone talks about how, how I'm, I'm to behave or, or how I'm to walk or sexual morality or money or any of those things, there's, there's some things that happen pretty quick in our minds that we go to. But I want it to be very clear about what this passage is not saying in case you might have go, go there as well. This passage is not saying uh, if, it's, if, if you've been sexually immoral, it's too late for you. I think sometimes when we hear the Bible say, don't do this, we hear... I've done this, I'm in trouble, right? That's not what it's saying. Very, no, it's not saying if you're, it's too late. It is not either saying abstain from sexually immoral people. 
stay away from sinners and tax collectors. There's like four books in the Bible that are, that are really big on why that's wrong. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's Jesus is walking his life. This, that is not what this passage is saying. Stay away from, from bad people. That's not what this is saying at all. It is not saying either that all passion is bad. It's not saying don't be passionate. It's going to redefine for us what this passion of lust really is. And it's not saying don't be emotional. That's not, none of these things is it saying. But we, sometimes we go there, right? We read these commands and we hear God saying, don't do this or else. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. What is this passage saying? Two times there's a phrase that I'm going to use a lot this morning. There's, there's two, two times this phrase comes up, and it's more and more. More and more. More and more, he says. More and more means it's already there. It's begun. You don't have to conjure it out of midair. More and more of what has already started. He even acknowledges that you've started there, Right? And this, uh, this combats in me. I have a huge tendency towards always wanting uh, deeper knowledge or something like a brand new thought. Uh, but this more and more kind of combats that of saying it's repetition, actually, that's grown me. Rarely has my growth come from a new thought. Rarely. It's, co- it's come from understanding the same things over and over again and not going wider, but deeper. Deeper, more and more. He says it twice. And what does he want more and more of? There's a phrase in verse 3. It says, for this is the will of God. That's really nice. How many of us are like, what's the will of God? Well, here you go. It says it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is not a word we use a lot, but sanctification communicates uh, this idea of uh, progressive. It's progressive. You're, you're not done yet. This is a process of becoming more and more clean and whole and really pure. And sanctification doesn't just mean cleaning the outside, but to be pure actually Im, uh, communicates integrity, that there's a wholeness, that you are becoming more and more of what maybe you already are. To become more of this thing, this this new creation that, that God has begun. That's what sanctification means, and it means you're not done. I, I want to repeat that. It means you're not done. More and more means that it's okay if you're not done. That's actually a part of the plan. It's a part of the process of sanctification. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. And like I said, it's, it, it's about purity. Purity is about integrity and becoming more of what God is making us. And really this breaks down into two, uh, there's a key here um, in verse 8. It says, there's basically two groups. There's those that disregard this, that disregard this message, that disregard whatever God is offering. But they're disregarding not man, but God. And then I love this. There's There's the group that also that receives, who receives the gift who God gives us the Holy Spirit. And I uh, was shocked as I was preparing this morning. I got up at 6 a.m. because I wasn't quite done. Um, and, and God was, was working on me. It was amazing what he did this morning. And he's working on me because I, I, I ran over this verse very quickly. Uh, who gives the Holy Spirit to you? I treated the Holy Spirit like an object or like kind of like a, like a Swiss Army tool that I put on the shelf and then I pull out when I'm, when I'm in trouble for problems. 
But God isn't giving us an object. He's giving us his very person. When he says, gives the Holy Spirit to you, he, it, it's, God's saying, it's me. I'm giving you me. This is the gift. So you either disregard what God is offering or you receive him. You receive his person, his presence, his power in your life. And this is where we'll get the two categories of purity and passion. If you are disregarding God, then you're living in the passion of lust, it says. And if you receive, you're going to live in purity. So we're going we're gonna to talk about three signs of what it looks like to live in the passions of lust. And um, the passions of lust communicate something even deeper than, than we think. When we, when we hear it, maybe you think of like a, like a hot romance novel or, or something weird, right? But this, this phrase, actually, lust isn't just sexual. It was never meant to be sexual. Lust is this idea in the New Testament, in the Greek, that communicates you don't have enough, therefore accumulate more. That's, that's the core of lust. Lust is saying you are, not, not only do you not have enough, but you are not enough. So therefore accumulate more. So that usually led towards uh, sexual pleasures or money, but that, that's not, it's not the only end of lust. Lust leads to a whole bunch of other things. You might be lusting after a career or success or respect or accolades or whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes from lust. And that's what it means to live in the passion of lust, means to hand yourself over to lust, to the idea that you are not enough and you need to accumulate more in order to prove that you are enough. That's, that's where lust comes from. And there's a few signs in here that we see in this passage. Um, and I'm uh, not going to use the exact wording, but we'll, we'll see how they, um, yeah, how they reveal themselves. First is that you are devoted to yourself. A sign that you're living in the passion of lust is that you're devoted to yourself. Verse 4 um, says, Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, looking different and, and honorable, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. He's commanding them to not transgress and wrong their brother in anything because they were transgressing and wronging their brother in some things. <laughs> That's why he gives commands <laughs> to not do it. And the, the, the subtlety here is that you, you, will, or you are willing to, to transgress others if, if yourself is the most important thing, right? That's when, you, that's when you're like, I don't care. What I want is the most important thing. That's what I want. And it's implied in lust, is that when you are, when you're thinking I'm not enough, I must accumulate more for myself, who are you thinking about? You, right? You are devoted to yourself. What, what can I accomplish? What, what don't I have? What do I need? How can I get that for me? And this causes a devotion to yourself, a devotion to live in passion. The, the other part of that phrase, passion of lust, means devotion, complete and total devotion. I am devoted to my lust. I'm devoted to what I don't have. I am handing myself over. And uh, this, it, it's subtle, but, it, but it's pretty dangerous. And, and I, there's a verse I love in um, 2 Timothy 4 that has always challenged me, uh, where Paul's writing to another guy named Timothy, and he says, um, pretty soon there'll be people who will show up, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions right? And, and I do this. We all do this, right? What do we do when we hear something controversial in the news? We don't go to the, to the other guy's source. We go to our own, right? We go to our own to support 
this, this one's wrong. This person's wrong. This is, and, and look, I, I've accumulated all of these resources, right? I've accumulated all this stuff. And um, it's interesting, I majored in, in history in college, and that's called bias, and I would get a bad grade for me to do that. Uh, I'm, we're, we're supposed to check everything out and take our time, but, we, but this, that shows devotion to self, right? I'm hearing things, but I'm only picking things that suit me, that suit myself. So that's the first sign, is if you're devoted to yourself. Secondly, is if you're controlled by your passions. So he says, control your body, right? And, and you might read that and go, okay, control your body, good, I'll, I'll try and do that. The community, like the implied underneath is that control your body before it controls you. Control your body beca- before it controls you. And this thought was, uh, has, has just uh, been so convicting to me for the last 10 years of my life. Um, when I, uh, I came across Romans 6, 12, when I was in college, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And I thought this was interesting, that, that idea that actually lust is not a vice, it's a master. It's not something you turn to. It's the thing underneath that's driving you. It's actually controlling you, saying, grab this, and you grab it. Go for this, and you go for it. You're not enough, therefore you need this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I need, right? Th- that's why lust shows up in a, in a variety of ways. In college, it showed up for sexual sin for me. And I thought I moved on from that, but it turns out it just turned into career success. That any time that little thought in my head said, you're not enough, grab more, I would work ho- however many hours I would need to to prove that I could be enough. It's the same thing, right? It actually controls you, and it's a, it's, it's a terrible master. Brutal. Because it gets you in a cycle of, you're not enough, grab this. You didn't grab enough, all right, then grab more. You're not enough, you grab more. You didn't do well enough, grab this. And it keeps you in a cycle of shame and guilt and shame and guilt while promising you hope that someday you'll get your life in order and you will be good enough. But it never intends on giving you that. That's what makes lust so dangerous is that it actually controls you. The, the last sign of, of uh, living in the passions of lust and living in passion, uh, verse 11 is, is interesting. It says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The, again, one of those implied things is saying that walking improperly then would be depending on everyone for, for all of your needs. Which is, which is an interesting thing. We're, we see this here as maybe monetary, uh, but it's so much more than that. And there, there was this really clear example that came to my mind. So I worked uh, in high school as a ditch digger for a plumbing company. And uh, I, was, I am no tank. I, am, I was really scrawny and vampiric in skin complexion at that time. So working outside was uh, just as dangerous as me as it would be for a vampire. Um, and I, I uh, didn't really enjoy the work, but it, but it paid pretty well. But I worked with the boss's son of this huge company, and, and I dug ditches with the boss's son. And this dude was like, like Brad Pitt in Fight Club. And th- this guy was ripped. He, was, he had a cool girlfriend. He was smart. He had everything. And, and I was like, oh, man, I wish I could be like this guy. But uh, fascinatingly enough, he 
uh, you could just see that the, there was an unhappiness in his life, a lust for something better. Because all the time at every job site, that he would get teased for being the boss's son. And to be teased for not doing well enough or working hard enough or whatever it was. And then he'd go into total, like, human backhoe mode where, like, he would dig, I mean, like, a lot. I don't know. There's not a great digging metaphor. <laughs> I couldn't find it. Um, anyways, so he, uh, and, and what he would do as he was digging like a backhoe as a person, he would be making all these exasperated sounds. Like, trying to get my attention, right? Like, oh, oh man, it's so hard. Oh, I'm digging so fast. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Um, I didn't know it then. Uh, you, uh, and like, my favorite times actually were these, were these like humble brags on the, in the truck ride home where he'd be like, how, how many you dig today? Like, three, and I'm cool with that. He'd be like, oh, wow. Well, I digged five. Can you believe I, d- I dug five? It's like, I mean, yeah. You're a crazy person. Um, but what, what, what's so fascinating is that he, I mean, he would get worse when he would be compared to the boss's son. And looking back on it now, it's so clear what he was looking for in that moment. He was demanding, he was demanding self-aid from me. He was demanding for me to say, you're enough, right? He was, he wanted the attention for me to say, you don't have to be like your dad, right? You're, you're actually amazing on your own, or you're doing a great job. Now, I was a teenage boy, so I said none of those things, and I probably just grunted answers. I should call him today. Um, but that's, that's what demanding self-aid looks like, is, is when you don't get all these things that you want to prove that you're enough, you, you demand others to, to begin to give them f- for you, right? Maybe, maybe there's a strong sense of inju- personal injustice, right? Look at me! You know, you're, you're, it's like that humble brag thing I said, where you're telling people about how awesome you are. Now, a couple things I want to go through before we move on to what it looks like to live in purity. So I want to be very, very clear. This is a list for self-reflection. This is not a list of you can't not help someone who's demanding self-aid because of 1 Thessalonians 4. Help people thoughtfully. Don't say, I'm not going to give anything to you because you're demanding help. This also doesn't mean don't ask for help. (laughs) Please don't live in isolation. Please, we suffer in isolation and we heal in community. This is not the point of this, is to look at this and look at others and say, look, you're being sexually immoral, therefore I'm not going to help you. Or you're, or you're demanding attention from me, therefore I'm not going to help you. If this were the case, if, 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 if it were the case for us to only help people who do this, we would be in big, big trouble. If Jesus was like, yeah, I'm going to need you to clean up before I, I come and save you, we'd have a serious eternal problem. <laughs> but that's not the case. This is more for self-reflection. So what does it look like to live in purity, to, to, to live this, this new way? What frees us? And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us back to more and more. He says, what, what, has, what you've begun, what you've already started walking, more and more. It means that it started. And who started it? Jesus did. When he gave the Holy Spirit, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he started it. And what Jesus starts, he finishes he doesn't leave projects undone. You are his work, and he starts it. It's a mindset, mindset shift, and this idea of more and more and sanctification being begun communicates that Jesus, uh, he put value on you when he bought you. He put the value on you. He spent his most precious and infinite resource in his own blood, and that's what gives you worth and dignity. That's what, that's what makes you enough. And he did that before you did any amazing things. 
You all will do amazing things. Don't, don't not do amazing things. But he gave you this value. So what does it look like to receive, to receive the Holy Spirit? What, what, is, what does it look like for us to live in purity of the Spirit being, being in us and through us? One is that you're devoted to the community. You're devoted to the community. Uh, verse 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And that, that uh, brotherly love is Philadelphia. It's okay. I, just like, like Bible, not the city. If, if that causes like a gag reflex for you New Yorkers, you're like, oh, Philadelphia. This is, this is, this is like good stuff. Good, good Philadelphia. A good brotherly love. And, and this brotherly love isn't like, um, it's not a shallow brotherly love where you just kind of like kind of know each other, but like you're devoted. It communicates a devotion, right? Where you really, really know someone. You really, really care about them. You know their desires and, and their needs and, and how you can help. And this, this is, God has taught the Thessalonians this idea of love. Jesus even says, like, the, the world will know that you are my followers by one thing, the love that you have for one another. He he wants a, a person who, who is convinced of their worth and their value in Jesus and Jesus alone actually becomes devoted to the community and really aids their own community, right? Knowing that, that, you're, that you don't have to do anything actually frees you to, to think and be about other people because you don't need them for your own validation. You're there just, just to give brotherly love, to devote to, to helping the community. So that's, that's sign one. Um, and uh, the Holy Spirit is there to help you with that. This is, this isn't, again, I, I want to be very clear with every point. This isn't a mustering of, I'm, I'm going to be a better person. This Holy Spirit, the person of God, you're with me. Will you help me? Will you help me be devoted to the community? Um, next is controlling your passions. Person who uh, has received actually controls their passions. Uh, he says, right, control his own body, not in the passions of the lust. You control, um, and, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. So how do we control it, right? I just said, don't white knuckle it. How do we control it? What do, if, if, if you said control, but there's like control. The, the beautiful paradox of growth in Christ, this more and more, this sanctifying process is not dropping the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for you because he loved you. You don't drop that and move on to better and better things. You go deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship with God. That's the more and more. So the five steps for controlling your passions, here's the prayer. Here's the, here's the five-step prayer I give, okay? Pay attention. This is really complicated. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. I can give six or ten, too, if you want. Jesus, help. I treat him like he's a real person and that he's here and that he wants to help me and he wants to free me. And guess what? He does. How I've changed over the years is more and more, I just become more and more in awe of Jesus. And that's who controls my passions. It's not me. I'm, I'm, the, the great paradox is if you want to control your passions, surrender to Jesus. You control by surrendering. You control by surrendering. He has given his very person to live in you. The gospel is about a living person living inside of a living person. The Holy Spirit is here. He's here. You just got to ask, help, help me. And the Holy Spirit is also there to remind you that you're enough, right? 
the, the Holy Spirit isn't there to say, don't, you better not sin. He's there to say, you don't need that. You're enough. I'm here. You have enough, right? That's, that's the Holy Spirit's work. And uh, lastly is quietly benefiting the community. Quietly benefiting the community. So he says, work quietly. Why? Why work quietly? Well, in the Thessalon- Thessalonican, uh, Thessala- uh, yeah, Thessalonican um, culture, right, they're, they're trying to work quietly so they don't start a riot and like shout like, hey, we're Christians and like, oh, that's what made us mad the first time, right? So there's, there's some just like normal wisdom to, to this, to this command. There's some historical context of working quietly, of, of working quietly. But on top of that, it, it says that you have no need. And uh, Paul is very clear that that's, that's not just like this idea of like um, being self-reliant uh, monetarily, but the, the Bible speaks about being self-reliant monetarily so that you can bless others. It's not like it, it, it in and of itself just be like totally free of need so that you can have like a point of pride. No, you have no need so that the others who do have needs, you can help. And so you quietly, quietly benefit the community. And the other aspect, I don't know if this is what he was communicating, but when I think about it, um, I think about like if you're loudly benefiting the community, you might begin to start giving back into uh, the idea that your worth is tied to your aid, right? You might begin to believe all these things that, that people are like, you are amazing because you do this. You are amazing because Jesus loves you, period not because of all the amazing things you do. And actually, you are amazing because Jesus loves you, period, is actually a better and more substantial truth for you than, than, the, than the latter. Trying to prove your worth by doing all these amazing things. That's what frees us to quietly benefit the community, right? To not draw attention to it, but just to do what we can to help our neighbors, to help those who need self-aid. Thoughtfully, how am I going to take care of them? Those that, that are in the middle of the passions of lust, of always feeling less than, we can think about how can I help them quietly, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards these people in this way. So this, this is the balance that we want to walk in, in, in purity. In, th- this is a balancing act, right? Because it's, it's balancing, okay, I, I'm finding my worth in Jesus, in Jesus alone, but this actually leads me towards loving other people the way Jesus loves me, right? And, and it, is, it is a balancing act because it, all the time you have all these voices saying, actually, you're not enough. You need more. Actually, you don't have enough. You need more. Actually, you need more accolades. So the balancing act is just tuning those out, pausing and listening to the Holy Spirit that's been given to you, who says you are enough because I spent my blood. <laughs> Jesus spent his blood on you. And so um, the... Yeah, the challenge for us this morning, I would hate for you to walk away this morning thinking, okay, I'm just going to care less about sex and money. Or I'm going to count my sins this week, sexual, money, success, whatever it is, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to count the following week, and hopefully it's less the following week <laughs> than it is this week. Or hopefully it's less this week than it is. But this more and more, more and more, the challenge for us is to more and more and more be convinced that we are enough because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. That is the challenge. More and more in Christ Jesus, follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, right? Why do I read this book? 
I used to read this book so I could tell God how good I've been. Now I read this book to see how good God has been. How good he is right now to me. That's why this book matters. It's not a checklist. It's, it's, it's a person talking to me. The God of the universe. Why do I pray? It's, it's an honor and a privilege to pray. It's not a task list. I get to talk to God who spent everything for me despite all my flaws and failures, despite me not doing enough. He loves me, and he's right here. That's why we do these things. So that's the challenge for us this morning, is to go is more and more to, to pursue Jesus. And as you do this day by day, more and more, sure enough, you will, you are participating in your sanctification. You are participating in what Jesus is going to finish. We actually get to participate in this. And make no mistake, Jesus will finish it. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I'm going to invite Drew up, and uh, I'm going I'm to pray. And uh, I'm actually going to leave some silence in the prayer. Um, I find it really insane how, like, I never get any silence in this city. And so any time that I can, that I can offer it, where we can just be silent and hear and listen to God and and uh, reflect on what's going on. So don't be alarmed by how, how much silence will be here. Uh, but it's, it's good for us. So let me, let me kick us off, and then um, I'll let you guys pray in silence for, for a little bit. Jesus, you are good. We want more and more of you. Would you speak to us now? Jesus, you are better. Thinking of that song we sang earlier, would you help our heart believe? <laughs> you help us to believe how much better you are, how much you love us, and to let go of, of this idea that we have to prove our worth, that we, that we have to prove how, how amazing we are. Help us to let go and let you love us, to let you, um, you and your love define us, that we are loved by God, and that's the most important thing, that we would look like you more and more in this community, that we would live out of purity, a purity of, of of an identity of who you've made us. We love you, God.